0: What does the Bible really say about suffering? Spoken by Pastor Michael. Carry on.
1: Hey, Metro, what's up? Somebody clap for Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys are clapping like you're depressed. Can somebody really clap for Jesus and give Him some glory? Amen. Hallelujah. We bless you, God. Amen. Amen. Agree with me in prayer uh, as we pray for this word and uh, let's pray for healing for Pastor Peter. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you that in your choreography, you brought us to this place, to this moment, to this day. We pray, Lord, that you be the center of everything that is said, that this word would transcend and go where no man can go, even to the hardest of hearts, unplug the most clogged ears, and transform the most broken lives. Father, we submit, Pastor Peter, and Jenny, and all the kids, oh God, we pray God for healing in that house. There no virus, no bacteria. Father, even touch Toby the dog, God. Bless him. Surround them. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray for a quick recovery. And all God's people say, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You can clap. God is good. Amen. <laughs> it's Family Sunday here, and the topic is... Somewhat of a challenging topic, so I'm going to try my best to just stay um, as delicate as I possibly can when discussing suffering. Suffering. Suffering is not an easy topic to theologize, to wrap a text or a biblical framework around, but it is absolutely non-negotiable for you, if you're a Christian, to suffer. You must suffer. Suffer. As part of your formation, as far as you being built up, as far as your character being transformed into the image of God. Well, you're already the image of God. You're already the imago Dei. But the character, the internal transformation of your soul, of your spirit, of your mind, does not happen on the glory points, on the, on the mountaintops. You are transformed into the image of Christ when you're suffering in the valley when you're in a place of stress, when you don't have the answers to your problems, when you can't call mommy or daddy or abuela or abuelo, you can't, that means grandpa, grandma, you can't call anybody other than Jesus to meet you in your pain. And I don't know if anybody's been to that place before. Give life some time, give God some time, he'll definitely get you into your valley moment. This message is for that moment. Paul to the church says something to the church at Philippi in the first century. A church that's in a militarized social reality with a strong leadership, but under oppressed Roman Greco rule. Dealing with tensions, dealing, uh, and it's a very hostile world when he speaks to the church at Philippi. But he gets to chapter 3, verse 7, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. He says this. But whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. We could stop right there. That one sentence could be a sermon series all by itself. Why? Because it's countercultural to the world we live in today. We're not taught, we don't think, we don't hear give up everything for Jesus. Matter of fact, if you were to be honest and keep it a buck fifty, if you were to be transparent, you would say you negotiate a lot with Christ on what you can keep, not what you can give him. On what you want to amass, not what you can lose. In most cases, we are negotiating to keep stuff, not get rid of it for his name's sake. It's a profound and prolific sentence. Verse eight. And indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The most important thing for Paul was to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, and then to make him known throughout the world to every Gentile. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. I didn't do this in the last service, but look at the two dynamics in that latter part of that sentence. I suffered the loss of all things and I count everything that I lost as rubbish. I suffered the loss and whatever I lost was garbage anyway because I'm getting Jesus. I've lost everything and everything needed to be lost so I can attain him, so I can get close to him, so I can know him, be transformed by him, walk with him, be at peace with him. That he may gain Christ and be found in him. To, to, to share uh, this morning couple of observations according to what Paul is saying observation number one if you're taking notes we gain in suffering it's not just lost we gain in suffering it's not just loss. there's something about losing something you want to keep that's good for you that matures you that transforms you, that makes you more of an adult and less of a juvenile, helps you to man up and to woman up into the, come on, man. You guys know any immature Christians that get everything that they want whenever they want it and they've got this capital entitlement that just spoils everything that they touch? I'm sorry, maybe that's just folks I know. Nobody here. Second observation, second observation from this text, A suffering theology is countercultural to the world we live in. And it's never-ending narrative of getting more. Do you realize how programmed you are to to get more? Do you realize that everything that speaks to you, you know, it used to be when I'm I'm maybe one of the oldest folk in the room. Maybe third, fourth down the line. But it used to be in my day that certain things would speak to me but I had to be at a certain place to be spoken to. That's right. I, I didn't have, the, the things weren't just popping up. Now things speak to our children and to our generation and they, they didn't leave the house. Things are coming into their room. Now, I'm, not, I'm not a crazy Pentecostal, listen to me. Through the internet, things are, are coming to their room. <laughs> through the radio, through the video, through the TV set, they have access and exposure to things that they normally would not have exposed back in my day, back in the 70s when life was good. (laughs) Third observation from this text, there's a clear warning that I can create a righteousness through the law versus a righteousness that comes from Christ. I can become self-righteous in my amassing of what I want. I can become my own spoiled monster, in uh, my own religion, my own, my own idol. Uh, most of you are idolaters. A matter of fact, we're all idolaters, not most of you, all of us. And we will always have to be delivered from the idolatry of self. Of self. You were created to worship, and you are gonna worship something or someone. Paul says, I let go and lose everything. So all that I worship is Christ. Final observation from this text. Paul implies this theologically. We should consider it, process it, park on it, look at it. Suffering is equated to resurrection power and being transformed like him in the process. Suffering is equated to to resurrection power. There's only a one word mission for this church. Transformation. And transformation doesn't happen on the mountaintop. Transformation happens in the valley. Transformation happens in the problem. Transformation happens in the con cosa que está pasando that you cannot control. Transformation happens when you feel like you're losing everything and you can't call anybody and you're being pushed on all sides. And the only thing you can say is the name of Jesus. And the only one you can call is the, the name of Jesus. It's in those places you become so much like him. Because all the superficiality, all the idolatry goes out there. You're looking to him, the author and the finisher of your faith. And he's writing your faith and your character and your strength, he's writing your transformation. If you would have told me back in 2019, That 2020, 2021, and 2022, were going to be hell on earth for our ministry. I wouldn't have believed you. I wouldn't have believed you. I I would not have believed it. I remember coming home from a major, largest church planting conference in the country. And getting on the plane and seeing all these masks. They were, it's common today. It wasn't common coming back from uh, the exponential conference in 2020. I see all these masks in the airport. Because I'm getting on the plane. And there's a buzz of this thing that's going around. And then the next thing you know, there's a pandemic and everything is shut down, the entire world is on house arrest. And the narratives that were coming over the TV set did not articulate, for my context, what the real area of concern should be. So while they were saying on different news channels, watch the senior citizens, watch the geriatric centers, watch the, right? That's not what I saw in the South Bronx. Our first fatality was a seventh grader named Chetna in our charter school. And he grabbed his left side. He said, mommy, my side hurts. And then she took him to the hospital and he died a day later. The next day, a 20-year-old young adult, one of the Hoveness from our ministry was walking down 3rd Avenue in the Bronx, took a deep breath and stopped and died right there at 149th and 3rd Avenue. After that, a mother of the church, a woman who started the church with us, Woman of the church, mother of the church. We just called her mother of the church. Carmen was a mother of the church. Walked into the hospital, couldn't breathe. Never came out the hospital. And then after that, it was phone call after phone call after phone call. And I was shaking because I didn't understand what was happening. And I could not get to my people, and I could not call my people, and I could not visit my people. And I'm locked up in this space of frustration because all of my theological training tells me to be incarnational, to be in the space where the pain is. So from a distance, I had to pray. If that wasn't bad enough, we lost almost 20 people to COVID out of our church, just our church. Washington Post put out in March, front page paper, South Bronx pastor thought he saw everything then COVID hit. That's, that's a horrible, horrible news clipping. And I, and, but God, in his, in his providential plan, trusted us with that crisis. Did you hear what I just said? Trusted us with that crisis and that loss. You know, you hear about people losing their lives to COVID and schools and teachers. And, but when it's people that you know when it's people that you marry to their spouse, when it's people that have led your worship, when it's people that have held the Santa Cena, the Holy Communion elements, you gotta reconcile that because it hurts, and you suffer because you can do nothing to help your people whom you love, who God has given you to steward, to manage, to shepherd. Then after that, we struggled with this hybridity as every church did then we finally get a location, we get the second floor loft, and we we get it all rehabbed up and we hook it up, and on the fourth Sunday, a fire happens around the corner and down the block, around the corner and down the block. That fire starts in a 99 cents variety store, eats up nine businesses, turns the corner, blows up the chicken spot, and then eats up three churches. Fourth Sunday... I preached this in another, another, another conference, and I, I, was, I was all gassed up, ready Saturday night. I was like, I got a sermon. I haven't spoken to people we haven't gathered in such a long time. I got a fire shut up in my bones. It was a fire, but it wasn't for the fire in my bones. It was, it was around the corner, down the block, and it took the whole block. After that, we talked about splitting. We talked about giving up. We talked about all these other things. We were in a situation of crisis. And what happens? I'm under the pillow. I'm under the, under the, under the sheets. i looking at the ceiling, talking to God, and I'm asking God, am I trying to keep something alive that you're trying to kill? Did you hear what I just said? You ever been in a place like that where you feel like you're fighting for something and everything's coming against it? and you just can't put your finger on it, but there's something in you that won't let you give up. That's where I was at, in that uncomfortable place. And I felt the Spirit of God come into my bedroom and just whisper, get up. Don't give up. And I got on the phone and I called the board and then I called the members and then I called the leaders. We're not giving up. But Pastor Mike, where are we going to go? We don't got no a place to go. We're not giving up. Well, where are you going to preach at? We will find a place to preach and teach and reach. It's just a building. It's just stuff. So what I started doing is I started asking members of the church, you got a backyard? We're going to sit up in your backyard. We're going to do promised land in your backyard. So I'm preaching in backyards, preaching in, in, in living rooms, preaching in kitchens, preaching all over the, all over the Bronx. And on, on, P, on Facebook, we were spinning it like PLCC Underground. <laughs> Check us out. You never know where we're going to pop up. might be a, a hood next to you. If your backyard is big enough, holler at your boy, and we'll have a service in your, in your house. And people was like, yo, come next week. You know, it, it was lit. It was lit. It was popping. People were like, ah. Uh, but you can't do church like that. Not for long. It's not sustainable. So we went back to the building, and we camped out in front of the building a little bit. And we started to preach at the church building and still serve at the church building. And next thing you know, we start to count the numbers because, you know, you got to have some metrics. And so we count the numbers and we start to notice that there's more people coming to Christ while we're homeless outside a burnt building than we're coming into the service and actually experiencing Christ in the building. Only three of you got that. The rest of you had hit you on the way home. The spirit of God was moving. I thought we needed a building. The spirit of God said, no, I just need your heart. I just need your willingness. I just need you to trust me in this. I know that it's uncomfortable. I know that you're worried. Give me your worry. Give me your anxiety. Give me your suffering. Yes. Let my suffering mold you and shape you. Next thing you know, we, 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 we start to see things happen that nobody could take credit for. A fire department us back in the building and what happens? We go upstairs and the building's a hot mess, yo. A hot mess. We rehab it again, second time, second time we rehab it. And what happens? Six weeks into that second rehab, the worst hurricane in 125 years. Hurricane Ida hits the Bronx. And you know what it does to that building? The building was already jacked up. It literally blew the roof off the building so that it was raining inside from the top all the way down to the bottom. I'm home under the sheets looking at the ceiling. And I'm saying, Lord, what are you doing to me, to us? We wind up getting past that, and God provides, and things are happening. And I processed, and I thought about how hard it was. Going back to Chetna. Chetna was our seventh grader. We, we, we're closing in on our high school now. We're breaking ground, eight floors of education in the South Bronx, through our charter school, which is not replicated to God be the glory for that. And we've named the auditorium after Chetna. It's Chetna's auditorium because we could not process. We could not process the pain and the loss, first of all, of the facilities, second of all, of this young man, and so many lives that we suffered together. I love what Richard Foster says. He's a transformational um, speaker, but he's also... He is also a theologian on spiritual formation as a discipline. He says this in the Renovare article from 2015. He says, we speak in Christian theology of the vicarious suffering of Christ. By this we mean more than Christ's sacrifice on Calvary, though we do mean to include this pivotal event. On the Christ, on the cross, Jesus the Christ took into himself all the sins and the sorrows of past, present, and future, and through his blood redeemed it all. Jesus experienced, however, not only a cross death, but also a cross life. When I read that and preparing for this sermon, I started to think back over the last three years. It's been a cross life. Where do I get that from? Matthew 16, 24, 25 says this. If any man will come after me, let him take up the cross, deny himself, and follow me. Matter of fact, let me switch that. Let let him deny himself, then take up the cross, and follow me. If any man, if any woman will come after me, deny yourself, and take up the cross, and follow me. We're not just called to the moment of crucifixion. We are called as Christians to live a cross life. There's two negatives in that text. You may not want to hear about it, but I didn't want to hear about it, but I read it, the Lord revealed it. I'm going to reveal it to you now too. Thank you. Right? We have to deny ourselves what we want. And then we've got to pick up the crucifixion. Crucifixion means death. Deny and die. Deny and die. Two elements in divi- and, and, and levels of suffering. De- deny my, my, what I want to do. The, 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 the perversions within me, the brokenness within me, deny, give it to Jesus, refuse it, not in my own strength, but in surrender to him, to the text. And then what? Pursue crucifixion. The way of the Christian is the way of suffering. The way of the Christian is the way of transformation through death to self. There's no other way. Holiness does not come because you act nice. Nice. Holiness comes because you die. Transformation does not come because you just make up your mind and to start to change your behavior. No, that's, that's cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, right? No, no, no. Transformation happens because something in you transforms your heart and then your thinking and then your actions and then your praxis start to look very different And when God starts to deal with you, it's always through suffering. It's always through crisis. It's always through brokenness that we see the hope of... You don't see the hope unless you experience the sorrow. Or as the Son of God walked among us in the flesh, constantly and consistently identified with those who suffer. Jesus identified with the bruised with the broken with the poor with the weak with the hopeless with the helpless that's hard because not only are we called to suffer but we're called to suffer with others who suffer that means as we're suffering we're loving others who are suffering and going through other stuff did you hear what i said that's the way of the christian As we suffer to self, we help somebody, we empower somebody, we stand up for somebody, we speak up for somebody, we stand in a gap for somebody. We go to court to advocate for somebody. We pray for somebody. As we suffer, as we are being transformed, we are wounded healers, wounded. My wound isn't healed, but God has me putting a bomb of Gilead on somebody else. I don't have peace in my life, but I'm speaking and praying peace over somebody else's life. I don't have it all together. I don't have the finances to carry my life, but I'm gonna trust God and use my two mights to build and to develop your life financially. Standing with, aching with, and weeping with is is the next item that Foster unpacks in this theology of suffering. Standing with, aching with, weeping with, Metro at home and Metro in the building. Who are you standing with? Who are you aching with? And who are you weeping with? There's a lot to weep in today's world. Not just the Ukraine war, but every single war that's not getting the time of CNN and all these other channels. Ukraine, we pray for Ukraine, but pray for Africa. Pray for India, pray for Ethiopia, pray for Yemen. Pray for the wars that are happening. There are people suffering. There is much for us to pray for. There is much for us to ache for as we deal with Buffalo, New York, and ten African Americans assassinated, going to buy milk and eggs. Yes. We're suffering in this world. Not to talk about what happened to in Olvade, Texas. Yes. The epitome of evil and destruction. Who are we standing with? Who are we praying for? And who are we weeping with? This is where Matthew 25 comes alive in us. This is where Missio Day exemplifies Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in a hospital, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. When I was an immigrant and refugee, you embraced me. That's not just eschatological pointing to the future of all things. That is a, a practical praxis that he gives us for the now. And at the end of that parable, what happens? The people that are what? That are making it into glory, they're saying, but Lord, check out, check this out. Check this out. They are walking so in the anointing and so close in the spirit that they didn't even realize as they were helping people, they were helping Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? I want to serve God so intimately That as I serve these masses, I don't even realize who I'm doing it for. But I know that God is leading me and I know that God is dealing with people. But Lord, when did we? When you did it to one of them, when you stood with one of them, ached with one of them, wept with one of them, you did it with me. And I transformed you because you were a hot mess when you were helping me then and you're a hot mess now. But God is good. God is good, that he doesn't reject us even in our sloppy brokenness. Am I talking to anybody in this room right now? We never more identify with the church than when we embrace those who suffer. We are never being the church more than we are embracing those who suffer, when we are accepting those who are broken and fragmented. There is just so many opportunities before you. If I would have known, if I would have known that all of this, I never would have believed it. But you know what? God has transformed us, has transformed my heart, has transformed my thinking. I'm still under, I'm still under construction, but God is still doing a work with me. Praise be to God. Praise be to God that he would still deal with a wretch like me. An old Dauphine that he will still deal with an ex-criminal, that he will deal with an ex-cracker, that he will deal with an ex-whatever this is. He still loves me enough to deal with me in my suffering and in my brokenness and in my despair of surrender. I see Yeshua, Messiah, the Christ. Amen. Suffering is not God's toy of sticking it to you, but it is a transformative vehicle it does not feel good to suffer. The psalmist said, though you slay me, you, he's talking to God, yet will I praise you. The psalmist said, never give me too much that I will forget who you are. Give me just enough so I would still worship you. Then he says in Psalms 119, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee even as I suffer. Suffering is how we are made new. Suffering is how we are transformed. Suffering. Suffering. James Bryan Smith, an author of a number of excellent books on spiritual formation, says this, Talking about suffering and spiritual formation. Christian spiritual formation is the process of being transformed into the image of Christ through a relationship of intimacy with God and with our neighbor. Notice our neighbor, just in case some of you just want to hang out with God and forget everybody else. You don't get transformation without the neighbor. You got to talk to your neighbor. You got to love your neighbor. You don't get in without talking to your neighbor, dog. Let me just let you know that. By the power of the Spirit in order to live a good and beautiful life of faith, hope, love, joy, uh, and peace. A life that will be a blessing to oneself and to others and will glorify God now and for all eternity. Christian formation happens when we suffer. Because we learn to look to the hills from whence cometh our help. And then we learn to expect the help from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. If you can receive it, say amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that word from God. Um, Let us pray. Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you can use our suffering, that you can take those moments of pain and you can use it for your glory, Lord. Lord, we know that you are not a God who wants us to suffer, that your heart breaks when we are in pain, that when we are suffering, when we are in those moments where we are in despair, we know your heart breaks, but we also know that you are with us in those moments. That you don't leave us alone in our pain, but you sit with us, you hold us, you hug us, you speak truth to us, Lord. That we can turn to you, Lord. That it is not a place of isolation, but it is a place of togetherness. And so, Lord, help us to be like you when we see those around us who are suffering. That we can sit with them. That we can be with them in those pains. We can walk with them, Lord. And then when we experience those moments of pain, Lord, that we can reach out to our community. We can reach out to you so we don't suffer alone, Lord. Lord, we are so thankful that you meet us in those valleys of our lives that you transform us that you help us to um, to just move past it to be made better by it to build our character we may be walking wounded but we are not powerless We are powerful. We are conquerors. We have been through it, but we have overcome it because we are with you. And you are with us. And so we thank you for this word that you have given us. This word of how suffering may not be the best experience we want to reach for, but it is not something that is not that is a waste that you will use it for your glory so i ask for every person that has heard this word that they be transformed by it that may it may take root that we are not we don't leave this space unchanged that we remember our pain but we remember that you are with us in our pain and that we may walk forward in that lord and so we thank you for your word. And praise all in your precious name. Amen.